This is recording number 10929 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 12, 2011. This is the 11th message in the series titled, Doctor's Gospel, by Randy Bolt. This message is titled, Faith vs. Fear. going to uh, continue our study in the gospel of Luke that we are we've kind of coined the phrase the doctor's gospel to describe Luke because uh, Luke who penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was a medical doctor and uh, we are uh, approaching this book Listening for the heart of Jesus, as we imagine a doctor would be with a stethoscope, excuse me, stethoscope, listening for a patient's heart. We are looking, listening for the heart of Jesus in these pages. And we're going to be talking about the issue, or the, I guess the, the differences between fear and faith. You might think of it as we move our way through this as kind of, these two words, faith and fear, being represented by the two sides of the Sea of Galilee or the lake, the two sides of the lake. You'll understand what I mean as we kind of move along. But fear and faith are kind of diametrically opposed. They do not go together. Um, and uh, we're going to see Jesus again and again in these uh, few verses that we're going to study today showing the contrast between the two. How many of you want to live your life in fear? Really? Nobody? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> How many of you want to live your life in faith? I think me too. And I think that Jesus is going to help us today as we uh, follow him uh, on a journey from one side of the lake to the other Help us to see how we can live our lives in faith. All right. Verse 26. You'll remember we ended last week, if you were with us, uh, talking about the... About, we were talking about guidance, divine guidance. But the story that we were... That was the backdrop for our discussion about divine guidance was when Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee to that place that's pictured there in the back of that image... Uh, in the background of that image, Gadara. He was on his way to Gadara, and a storm came up, and we talked all about that last week. The storm has calmed because Jesus stood up in the boat and told the, the wind and the waves to stop, and they did. And then he said to his disciples, he says, this is very important. It's in uh, verse 25. It's really not part of our text today, but it is the jumping-off place for us today. He said, where is your faith? Why? Because they thought they were dying, right? They thought they were drowning. The boat was taking on water. And these, sea, these seamen, these um, uh, experienced fishermen, uh, this storm was so severe that they were scared to death. They thought they were going down. And they were um, upset with Jesus because he didn't seem to be as concerned as he should be. And... Uh, 
he stood up in the boat, stopped the storm, and then he said, where is your faith? And then it says these words, and they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? Where is your faith, he said. And then it says, and they were afraid. The Greek word there uh, that's translated were afraid is phobeo. It's uh, the verb form of phobos. Can you imagine where, what word, English word or word we use in English that we might get from that? Phobia. Phobia. Anybody heard of that? Anybody here have a phobia? I have one. Uh, it's weird. Most phobias are. In fact, I wrote down a Webster's definition of a phobia, a persistent irrational fear of a specific object, activity, or situation that leads to a compelling desire to avoid it. The way I discovered my phobia was um, I had some visitors, as we all do living here in the Bay Area. People want to come here to visit us, don't they? And uh, so I had some people come and visit us, and we took them to the Golden Gate Bridge, um, parked on the San Francisco side, and we were going to walk across. Nice day. We started uh, walking across the bridge, got out to where the, um, I forget what they call the, the big pillars, the big, you know, the great big things that the suspension hangs from. Uh, we got out to the edge of that, which is right at the edge of the land. And then you, from there on, you're over water till you get to the other one of those big things. What do they call those things? Any towers. towers. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> towers. So we, we, we were walking on the, on the uh, uh, Golden Gate Bridge till we got to the South Tower. When we got there, um, I panicked. It totally over, I was completely shocked and surprised. I thought I was fearless. I had never had any problems with heights ever. And, and, but as soon as we got from the, to where the bridge was no longer over land and now over water, a panic set in on me, this irrational panic. I actually had to get down on all fours and crawl my way back. <laughs> Talk about embarrassing. It was weird. And, um, and ever since then, now, I, you know, now that we live here in Solana County, I can't go any place without crossing a bridge. But when I'm on a bridge over water, I have, you should see me in a car. It's like, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. It's weird. But that's the kind of word that, we're, that was used here. Jesus said, where's your faith? And they were fearful. They were phobio. Okay, so let's pick up there. Verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons, or the original language there is who was held by demons. And let me just stop here and say, just in case you're wondering, I believe in demons. Maybe you don't, and that's perfectly fine, but you just need to know up front I believe in demons. I don't worship demons. I don't, I don't cower before them in fear because my God has triumphed over them. They are demons because they got kicked out of heaven. And I have, we all have 
in the name of Jesus as his followers authority over every demonic entity in the name of Jesus. But the thing is, we don't like here in the United States anyway, and in another Western or what sometimes we think of more, you know, intellectually uh, advanced cultures, we don't like to talk about demons. Um, as though as though they didn't uh, exist. Maybe you know demons. Maybe demons uh, you know manifest themselves in you know in the jungles of South America or in Africa or in some you know really obscure part of Asia, but not here. We don't have demons here. <laughs> Come on. I mean, there either there either is demons or they're not. And if there's demons, they're here as well as anywhere. Amen. <laughs> and so as we talk about because we're going to talk about demons now this is a story about demons so I just wanted to get that out front this is not some sort of fairy tale this is the real deal this is what's happening and more than we want to admit or, um, or think about the stuff that goes on in our lives and around us is manipulated, exploited, taken advantage of by demonic spirits more than we know, more than we want to acknowledge. And so if we're going to become people of faith, and you all raised your hands a little bit ago to say that's what you want to be, not a person of fear, but a person of faith, then we need what we're going to see here. So let's follow along. He stepped out uh, on the land and there met him a certain man from the city who was held by demons for a long time and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house. He lived in the tombs. This is one scary character. In fact, we'll go on to read that he, from time to time, they would shackle him in and, and chains and he would break loose from them. This was a wild, weird guy. When Jesus, when, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him. Take note. He cried out, he fell down before Jesus, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded, Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Notice that we're talking singular here right now. He had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man and he's having a conversation and it's really kind of hard to tell uh, who's involved in this conversation the demon or the man with Jesus but let me just tell you a lot of times it isn't really easy to tell but but Jesus is having uh, or this this spirit is speaking to Jesus and begging him to leave them alone, to leave him alone. Uh, verse 29, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Again, the singular word demon into the wilderness. And apparently, now it's, the timing of all of these little aspects of this story, the way that Luke has laid it out, is a little bit, a uh, little bit hard to follow, a little bit tricky about the exact sequence of things. It's kind of like it sort of all unfolded in parallel, which is probably did. Um, 
But apparently, Jesus has cast out this spirit. And I want you to get something here. Jesus has, has crossed that sea, and he has landed on that, uh, uh, that shore over there. As soon as he gets out of the boat, this demonic, uh, this demoniac, this man who is held by demon spirits confronts him. As soon as he gets out of the boat, it says. This is an area, a region, where Jesus has not gone to yet. It's a very important region. It's called the, the region of the Ten Cities. They were Greek cities. Um, so there were some Jews that lived there, but primarily they were Greeks, Greeks and Romans. And uh, so it was an area that Jesus has not yet come to. The gospel has not yet penetrated into this. And as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, the devil is right there to oppose the advance of the gospel. Have you ever encountered that? And so he has this conversation with the guy because he's cast out this spirit and apparently it hasn't left yet because it says, uh, don't, don't trouble us, don't torment us. And Jesus does a wise thing. He asks a question. Boy, I could take a week on this. There is so much here. But he does a wise thing. He asks a question. He says, what is your name? Now, I know that there are really goofy people who are involved in, you know, the, the kind of people who see demons under every bush, and they're always just wanting around, slap people on the head and cast out demons out of, you know, bang, 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 and all this. And they carry on these conversations. What's your name, spirit? And they, they go, ooh, you know, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm not talking about that, but there is something very important here about Jesus ministering to this guy to set him free from this severe bondage there was a resistance to, Je to Jesus' ministry, apparently. He, he had commanded the Spirit to come out of him, and instead, the Spirit says, oh, don't trouble us, don't torment us. And so what Jesus does is he asks a question. He says, what is your name? And he said, singular, he said, legion, because many demons had entered him. And now that's going to switch to plural because now Jesus is, has unearthed something that wasn't there before. That we're not just dealing with one spirit, but many. And they have a name, legion. And it's not just a description because the legion was a Roman, a group of about 6,000 Roman soldiers. It wasn't just uh, a description of how many spirits might, you know, that there was a lot of spirits involved in this guy, and I don't, I don't mean to say there were 6,000 of them, but I mean, he was just, it was like he was saying, well, there's a whole bunch of us here. So we, the answer to your question, what's your name, is Legion. But it's also highly possible that the, the impetus, the genesis of this man's bondage began with a traumatic experience with Roman soldiers. And that's why the name Legion. I've found my wife and I, as we minister to people in areas of bondage in their own lives, where demonic spirits have gotten a hold of some aspect of who they are. And it's unique. most of you here, if I said this, you would understand what I mean. You, they feel like they're being held back. In that part of their life, they can't seem to break free of it. And as we minister to people, we often find that that, that grip, that little hold that something has on their life will trace back to some traumatic experience that they've had where that thing got a, a chance to get a hold on their life. So Jesus is exposing the strategy of the adversary here and in doing so, 
he opens the door to this man's deliverance. Verse 31, and they, now it's, now it's plural, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Now, you might say, well, what sense does that make? Why beg to go into the, from the man into the swine just so you can end up, you know, uh, in this mess? Well, it just shows you how desperate these demonic spirits were, that they would choose that over you know, wherever Jesus, whatever else Jesus, I don't know. You know, I've, I can't pull back the curtain and see uh, the realm of the spirit, neither can you. But that's the real world. And that's where the real stuff is happening. And wherever else Jesus was going to send them, they were terrified of that. And they said, don't, you know, don't send us there, the abyss. Now, here's a bunch of pigs. Can we go there instead? And then that shows you the corruptive power of these demonic spirits that they couldn't. Um, by the way, when a, when a demonic spirit has a hold on someone's life, the whole point is to bring about corrosion, destruction, uh, ruination. And so you can imagine that in an animal where there isn't the kind of um, ability to sort of resist the compulsions towards destruction, that, that, that they just go off the deep end. And that's what happens. <clears throat> Verse 34, When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons, uh, from whom the demons had departed, get this, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. A, a complete transformation. A complete transformation. And they come, these people who know this man as this wild guy that they can't even chain up. He breaks the chains. He runs around naked. He lives in the tombs. This guy, they come and they see him seated before Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and get this, and they were afraid. Same word, phobeo. That's weird. They were, I mean, you'd think it would be, the before picture would be the one you'd be afraid of, not the after picture. They also had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him, Jesus, to depart from them, for they were seized with great Fear. That, that word great is mega. <laughs> mega fear. They were seized with fear. I, it's weird. And so they're asking him, go, leave us alone. <laughs> Don't do any more good stuff around here. Verse 38, or the end of verse uh, 37, and he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. 
And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Get this, a guy who probably hours before was running around naked, uh, uh, you know, living in, in uh, tombs and cutting himself. The other, you know, um, passages, parallel passages give us more insight into what was going on with him. He was a wild and crazy guy probably just hours before now. The transformation is so remarkable that Jesus is commissioning him to take his gospel to his region. That's pretty, pretty impressive. The point I want to make is this contrast between faith and fear. Fear is not about, not so much about what I don't understand. Fear is about what I don't want to happen. And these guys, they didn't want to give up control of their life. They wanted their pigs. They wanted their pigs. They didn't care about this guy. They wanted their pigs. And anytime Jesus comes confronting uh, control and the idea that, you know, things might get a little bit, ooh, a little bit uh, interesting, uh, we have a tendency to shelve our faith and give place to fear. Now, I only have a few minutes left and a lot more to read because I wanted to take this to the end of the uh, chapter, so I'm going to just paraphrase it for you. So that's what happens on one side of the lake. They, those people say, we don't want you here. You're, you're too much. And uh, so they, he, Jesus crosses back over to the Galilean side of, of the lake, to the Capernaum side of the lake. And it says that as soon as he gets out of the boat, same thing, okay? When he went there, as soon as he got out of the boat, a demoniac confronted him, fell at his feet, and said, basically, don't, don't mess with us. Don't mess with us. On the other side of the lake, he gets out of the boat. First thing that happens is a guy named Jairus comes, falls at his feet and says, please help us. Completely different. Night and day. Please help me. My daughter Jairus was a, uh, the leader of the synagogue and his 12-year-old daughter was sick unto death. Please help me. So Jesus goes with him, heads towards his home. On the way towards his home, uh, a woman who has had uh, an issue of blood. So she's had something where she's, uh, some condition that's caused her to bleed for uh, a number of years. And it says that she had uh, sought help from um, physicians and no one's been able to help her. And get this, the guy who's writing this is a physician. That must have been hard for him to admit that this was, there was a condition that they couldn't cure, but he did. He wrote it down here. He said, he investigated these things thoroughly. And, uh, so she, uh, she, she's had this, this condition for 12 years, can you imagine? And um, she was ostracized from the community because it was thought that anybody who had a condition like this was somebody who was, you know, whose God's favor was against. And uh, so for all this time, she's been embarrassed. She's been in hiding, trying to deal with her condition. She's wasted, wasted all her money and resources on on physicians and no one's been able to help her and she just decides, you know what, if I could just get a hold of Jesus, I think he could help me. 
So she makes her way through a crowd, gets, just touches his garment. It says the hem of his garment. It wouldn't have been that she reached, you know, got all the way down on the ground and got his, his robe there, but it would be this, kind of the sash thing that he would have had over his shoulder and it would have a fringe here on the, kind of on the, on his, along his back. So she comes and she just touches that. And Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And there's a crowd. And so Peter says, well, come on, Jesus. (laughs) Who touched you? I mean, really? You're going to ask that question? We're surrounded by a throng of people here. Who touched me? Come on. And Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. And I, because I knew the power left me. Somebody tapped into my power. Now, let me ask you something. Did Jesus really not know who? No, of course he did. He knew. But he was calling her out. And uh, verse uh, 47, now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And that's another word for fear. When she saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. She, cl- she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And Jesus said this, he said, your faith has made you well. All the time you can imagine Jairus going, yes, yes, let's get on with this. My daughter is dying. So they carry on and they head to Jairus' house. And before they can get there, some servants from the, from the home or some friends from the home come and they, and they interrupt uh, the procession. And they say, don't bother Jesus anymore. She's dead. And uh, uh, verse 50, when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There's that word again, phobos. Do not be afraid. Only believe faith, and she will be made well. So he goes to the house, make a long story short. This girl who was dead comes to life again. Now, we've seen a story where one group of people, one multitude of people, didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus because they were afraid. He was making waves. He was doing stuff that was spooky. He was infringing on our game plan. So we don't want him. Fear. On the other side, you had people who had, were tempted to be afraid. One, because she was being um, called out. You know, when you sign up for this thing about faith, you kind of give up your, your, uh, your nice little quiet uh, corner life. Faith is going to call you out. And, uh, but she answered the call. She answered the call. She stepped forward and said, yeah, it was me, and I'm, I'm healed. And then you had this guy, Jairus, who he hears the, no- hears the word from, from his house, your daughter's dead. Give it up. Don't bother with Jesus anymore. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Believe. And in that moment, this man Jairus chose to believe instead of be afraid. And this miracle transpires. We have this contrast set before us today. Faith and fear. You all said when we first got started, you don't want to live a life of fear. You want a life of faith. Now let me tell you what I think that all means. Verse 9, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 1. Then, 
then. This happens right after what we've just read. The deliverance of a demonic, a demon-possessed man, the healing of a woman with issue of blood for 12 years and a, and a dead girl raised to life. Uh, deliverance and healing. Okay, this happens right after that. Then he called his disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That's not there by accident. Jesus has modeled something of power ministry and now he says to his, his disciples, it's your turn. It's your turn. Verse 6, So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Verse 10, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. So these guys, they're commissioned by Jesus and empowered to carry on his ministry of setting people free from demonic oppression and healing the sick. Now turn over to chapter 10, verse 1. We're almost done. After these things, so this is a flow of a continuing story, a continuing saga here. After these things, uh, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Lest you think you can escape this by reason of not being one of the 12 disciples. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he was about to go. Verse 9, and, he, and this is the commission he's giving them. He's speaking now and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 17, then the 70 returned from, with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in his name. Jesus crossed the sea delivered a man from demonic oppression. Then he went to the other side and healed. And then he said to his disciples, the 12, now it's your turn. I'm sending you out. Go and when you find people who are oppressed of the devil, set them free in my name. When you find people who are sick, bring healing to them in my name. And then he said, now let's get, uh, they, they all come back to him and said, wow, you know, here's what we ha- you, what you said actually happened. We saw people delivered from bondage and we saw people m- made well. And then he says, okay, let's get 70 of us now. And he says, I'm giving you the same commission. Okay, all of you, head out. You're going to go to all the towns and vis- villages where I'm going to be heading to shortly. When you go there, if you find any people who are oppressed by the devil, set them free in Jesus' name. If you find people who are sick, uh, uh, heal them in my name. Now, if we went on to the book of Acts, we'd see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said, but you, now he's talking not just to 12, not just to 70, but to us. He's, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's where you and I come in. And if we want to be people who don't live in fear, fear of being um, like the, the people of Gadara, having their life sort of you know, messed up, their nice little orderly pig farming business kind of turned on its head, Jesus doing stuff that might be a little bit out of control, if we don't, if, if uh, you know, if we don't want that kind of thing, then, then it, you won't be signing up for a life of faith, I tell you that. If we are tempted to be afraid, like the woman with the issue of blood, to keep hiding in the corner and not, you know, a lot of us, we kind of got to keep our head low. We don't want to, you know, be seen and, and noticed. 
But if you want to remain in that place of fear, you're not going to experience the life of faith that you said you long for. If you, when you're confronted with the possibility that Jesus may, may um, not come through for you, and a lot of times people resist embracing a full-hearted faith that, that uh, encompasses the miraculous displays of God's power because they're afraid he won't come through in the pinch. When Jairus gets the news that, that you know, don't bother him anymore, you know, case is closed, your daughter's dead, he pressed through that in faith and found that even death was not the end in ter- when it comes to the power of Jesus. If we want to be people of faith, we're going to put the, our fears aside. And dear one, it's going to, it's going to include miracles. The power of God on display. I'll close with this. Um, I last, uh, let's see, the um, beginning of May, first week of May, I was uh, at uh, the the YWAM base where I go in Taiwan, and and, uh, I was invited over to the base leader's home one night, actually two nights in a row. They opened, he and his wife opened their house to students from the School of uh, Biblical Studies that they have there. It's a nine-month course, a very intensive Bible study, and there, I don't know, there's probably, um, I don't know, 60, 70 students from all over the world that are there intensely studying the Bible. I happened to be there the week after they had finished reading the book of Acts and studying the book of Acts. And they had, they, here's the question they kept asking, because the reason they invited, my, my friends invited them over to their home is to be able to ask any question you want to ask. It was just an open forum. But this group of students who had just completed reading the book of Acts, this is the question they kept asking. They kept saying, how come, how come my Christian life doesn't look like what I read in the book of Acts? Again and again and again, all these, they're 20-somethings, you know, young people. How come my Christian life doesn't look like what I read in the book of Acts? And my friend kind of looked at me and said, you want to take a stab at that? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we had a really really good discussion. Well, afterwards, one lady can't, you know, she was on her... um, on her way out the door, I, I had met her before, and so she stopped to just shake my hand. And um, as soon as she got a hold of my hand, she just starts weeping. She says, I want that so bad. I want that life so bad. I don't want this safe, you know, uneventful, quiet powerless Christianity. I want this one. I want this one. And I got to pray for her. I'm wondering if maybe that's you today too. It is me. I want this one. There's enough hurt and enough corruption in this world already. I want to do something about it in Jesus' name. 